Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And if you are the kind of person that's been focused on your own development and you are eager to help others achieve their potential, you're in the right place because I have conversations with people who are doing just that. And today I'm very excited to have with me Eugene Whitlock from the University of California, Berkeley. Welcome, Eugene. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I am so excited about our conversation, and I want to give a quick shout out to Angela Stopper, who was a guest on episode number 70. She's a member of your team, and she was the one who introduced us, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Before we jump in, let me just tell people who you are. Eugene is the Associate Vice Chancellor for Human Resources and the Chief People and Culture Officer at UC Berkeley. He leads a 75-person human resources department, and during his time at UC Berkeley, Eugene has emphasized the creation of a workplace where everyone can be themselves and feel like they belong. I love that. Eugene, I would love for you to give us, because I left out all the steps coming up to that, tell us a little bit about your journey before you um, came on board in this position at, at UC Berkeley. Sure. My career has been a bit of a winding road. I, I'm not one of those people who always wanted to do human resources or even always wanted to be in high, higher education. So I re, I'm an attorney uh, by trade, I'll say. And so I went to college, went to law school, worked for a judge for a couple of years, started working in a big corporate law firm, like what we do after we go to law school. And I liked it. But I didn't know that it was forever, the forever career for me. I had a couple of other career stops on the way, lived in Germany and Berlin for three years, working at a think tank, then missed being at home, came back to California and was attorney, an attorney for a long time. And I actually had a job that I really loved. And I thought, I guess this is where I'm going to be until I retire. But then an opportunity presented itself with one of my clients to apply for a job being in charge of human resources. And initially I thought to myself, well, I'm just a lawyer. What do I know about human resources? And, and my client, who who I my primary point of contact at the community college district where I ended up working, was the head of human resources. And he said, you work with me uh, on a regular basis, and we're always talking about human resources issues. You might see yourself as just a lawyer, but you're my partner in human resources. When I When he sold it to me like that, I, I was all in. And so I applied for the job and I get it. This is back in 2014. And I discovered that I really loved doing human resources. As the lawyer, you're a bit of an outsider or you're there to solve problems. And so you tend to view people as a problem to be solved. Hmm. But when I when I got into that human resources seat, people were um, things that I could people people were people that I could support. It became a question of development. How can I help you? be your best self at work? How can I help you advance your career? And so it was a much more positive take on the world of work than what I had experienced as the outside employment lawyer. So after that job for five years, and I really had to learn a lot and grow into the role. I, again, I really wasn't a human resources professional. 
Then an opportunity came to apply at UC Berkeley. I applied for the job, and, and this is a little over three years ago. I got it, and I haven't looked back since. Such a great story. Now, you and I had talked earlier, and you had told me that you had not managed people before you got your first job in a leadership or first position in a leadership role. So I'd love for you to share, because so many people have that situation where they don't have the adequate preparation before being put in that position. What are some of the things you had to learn? I had to learn a lot. And so when I got the job, I was very excited. And then I said to my wife, but I don't know how to manage people. <laughs> I'd managed interns along the way, but that wasn't the same as managing a team of professionals. And so first thing I did was I got a book. And at that time, my wife recommended that I read One Minute Manager. And so that sort of laid out some of the basics of what it would take to be a manager. But that also got me interested in learning more about management. So I did a lot of reading on the web. And so, but then I was in the job a few weeks later, and so I still wasn't fully prepared. And so I continued to take uh, opportunities to develop myself as a leader. So le I did a leadership development program for five days where I, I learned a lot because part of that program was a 360 by my staff and my peers. And so as hard as that was, I learned a lot. It was hard because although people had nice things to say, people also had things that weren't as nice to say. Not that people were cruel or mean, but, you know, feedback is a tough thing to get sometimes, especially when it's the truth. But once I, you know, I sort of calmed down and understood that it was for my own development and there was a coach there to lead me through this, I was really able to take the feedback and learn actually what it takes to be a better manager. And one of the biggest things I learned is that we all want to be, all of us who are managers, we want to be good. But we can't be good unless we listen to the people we're trying to manage to understand what it is that they need from us. How do they want to be led? And so once I was able to really understand that this feedback and this coaching was going to help me be better and have the impact that I actually wanted to have, then I was able to really develop that. And I continue to read when I can and do, you know, and I've had an executive coach a couple of times. And then I just also my other friends who are managers, I often reach out to them as a source of support to ask, what would you do in this situation? Mm. That's great. Well, I know that you are, you mentioned it being a big advocate for feedback. What are some of the things that you feel are important about that? You shared your own personal lesson, but I'm sure you've seen that with other people on your team and other leaders you've interacted with? Where's the value there? Right. If you really want to be effective in your role, whether it's as an HR leader or in any sort of leadership role, you really need to embrace feedback. I, I remember somebody telling me at one point in time, feedback is a gift. And, it, and it, it, it truly is because it's that thing that it may not be the gift that you want, but it is a gift because it enables you to be the leader that you want to be. As I was mentioning before, we all want to be successful. We all want to be effective. But sometimes we can't see what it is that we need to do in order to be effective. Or you might be doing things that you think are working great that aren't. And unless you get the feedback to help you course correct, you're never going to be able to figure that out on your own. And a quick story, I remember in my first management job, you know, I read the book and came in. I was cracking jokes a lot. I was trying to be the funny guy to keep things light for the team. But it was revealed to me in the feedback that they wondered if I was taking my job seriously. Mm. I had no idea that that was the impact that I was having. And I didn't want people to think I wasn't serious. I just wanted people to think I was nice and funny. Well, there was a balance that I needed to, to strike. And so even though that was kind of hard to hear, right, it didn't make sometimes feedback doesn't make you feel good. 
No. But I definitely needed to hear it because it also created an opportunity for me to do something different so that I would, again, be able to be effective in the ways that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we recommend around feedback is following up later to ask how you're doing in whatever it was you got feedback about. Have you found that to be useful? Yes, I have. And so that was actually some of the direction that I received when I did that first leadership development program is that they wanted you to own that you wanted the feedback. They didn't want you to just send out a canned email and say, I'm doing this leadership program and they're making me do this. No, you really have to, again, own that the feedback is beneficial. You really have to believe that in part because when you communicate and solicit feedback from other people. They want to know that you take it seriously. They don't want to be afraid to give you the feedback, right? So somebody can't tell you something and then have you grimace, right? That That's not telling people yes. that I really want the feedback. <laughs> Leaning into it literally and figuratively saying, thank you, tell me more. Tell me more about this. And then after you get the feedback, explicitly saying to the person, great, I would love to follow up with you on this in two weeks, two months, whatever the time period is, because I want to know how I'm doing. I want to have the impact that you described. I want to try to do the things that you asked for. And so I I want, I I trust you because you've shared this with me. Can I trust you again to tell me how it's going and to tell me the truth? And people really respect that. I think people in general really want to help other people. And, Mm. And I think if you think about it as an individual, if somebody comes and asks for you, can I get your advice? Most of us, sure. I, you know, it's easy to give advice. And so giving people that opportunity and then showing that you're going to take it to heart and following it up. This isn't just a one off. I really, Mm -hmm. truly am invested in what it is that you have to say and making a positive impact on your experience of me at work, I I think can have long lasting positive uh, effects on the relationships, not only with that person you're having that conversation with, but with the people who that person is going to then go and talk to. They're going to go and say, you know, Eugene asked me for feedback. He thanked me for it. He followed up. This is somebody who really, truly cares about his leadership and being able to lead us. We can work with We can trust him. Mm-hmm. You're bringing up such an important point because I think too often somebody gets the feedback. They might share it with others. But that follow up to me is so key because of all the advantages you just described, the the investment in the trust the person has for you and respect they sense from you for not just asking them, but then actually going back to um, get additional input on how you're doing. I, I just think that's a huge takeaway for my listeners if they have gotten feedback before I'd encourage them to ask themselves, how much are you going back to check in to see how you're doing? You know, Eugene, one of the things I know you've been kind of making a shift um, internally there is from the use of human resources to people and culture. Um, And talk about what the distinction is that you're, you're trying to focus on there. Sure. So human resources is the the evolution of the name for our function from personnel, right? So it's a step up from being called personnel. Yeah. Now we have human in there, but you know, humans are resources, you have financial resources, but a resource is calling somebody a resource is I think dehumanizing. And as our roles as human resources leaders have evolved as to more strategic partners, and as the understanding of work has changed. We we know that we need to treat people as people. This was certainly accentuated during the pandemic, 
And now the sort of the balance of power between employees and employers has changed to where that, hey, we, I really have to take into account the whole person who's in front of me. I can't tell them to leave their personal life at home when they open the office door, if they're even coming in at all. And so I wanted to do something different when we got here to UC Berkeley, instead of just thinking about people like, you know, resources, like cogs in a, in a machine. They're real, living, breathing people, and we have to think about the whole person. And so I changed the name from human resources to people and culture in part because I wanted to send that message. We could have probably accomplished it in a different way, but I, I wanted sort of something that would get people's attention. So to the, let's say, people outside of the human resources function at UC Berkeley, I wanted them to know that we were going to be about something different, not only within my own unit, but at UC Berkeley, we were going to be about people and we should call them people, not human beings, which is sort of a scientific term, but they're actually people. And then the culture piece is people and culture, the workplace culture. Let's start thinking about and talking about what is it actually like to work here? We talk a lot about the mission or helping students We talk about the work, but what is it like to work here? Why should people want to work here? So I really wanted to change the conversation. And even just by virtue of the name change, change itself, a lot of people would then ask me why, and that would open the door to having this conversation. And for a lot of people, it was a thought-provoking sort of conversation where they would say, yeah, you know, we are talking about people. And no, we don't talk a lot about the workplace experience, but we do want our employees to engage. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The second piece of changing the name was also for the internally here with the people who were working in human resources. Some of them were comfortable with how things were, or would have even preferred to go back to the days of personnel. And so I needed to also reshift their focus to the people in the organization, the workplace experience. We're not, we're not the place where good ideas come to die. We're not the place that's just about compliance. We are a partner to the organization. We are a partner to the people in the organization. We exist to lift them up, to lift up the people so that then the people can have good experiences and that the people can lift up the organization. Great. I love it. Well, one of the other initiatives you put in place is you set up a DEI team, right? Yes. So talk a little bit about what what types of roles, responsibilities belong to that particular team? What's their mission? Sure. So when I when I got here to Berkeley, I said, so what you know, what does human resources do around diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging? And the answer was we don't. (laughs) You know, we care about it, but we don't have any structure to support it. So I asked, you know, the higher ups, can we create a team for it? And they said, sure, go for it. I'm new, right? So they're going to say new to support me. And, you know, it sounds like an interesting idea. And so we created a team under a director, probably we were able to hire him about a year after I started. And so he has under him the data analytics person for the entire human resources function. And I think that's key that that data analytics person that sits there because we want to see people talk about seeing things through an equity lens. And so when we run our data, it's it's part of that team. We're looking at, so we don't just look at the data, we look at it and, and disaggregate data and see how different demographics are doing. Are people of color being impacted by our policies or practices in a certain way? Is it impacting women, the LGBTQ community? And so we're able to have that as part of our DEI function is how we look at our data as an organization. We have trainers around part of that part of that team. One of the great programs that we've created is what we call the Berkeley Equity Training Series. And it's a nine, it's a cohorted program that goes for nine weeks during the course of a semester. 
that introduces the campus community to the different underrepresented populations that we have on campus. So one week it will talk about the African-American community, then the Latinx community, the disabled community, the disabled, the LGBTQ plus community, because, you know, we talk a lot about we're a very diverse organization and we are, but do we really know each other or do we know about the lived experiences that our colleagues from these communities have? Yes, I could ask you, what's it like to be black? That's an awkward conversation to have. But through this equity training series, we give people the opportunity to sort of ask that question without having to ask it. And they can learn in and understand a little bit more about the lived experiences of their colleagues. And that in turn helps us to build community. So that program is under the DEIB team. They also have, we also have an inclusive leadership academy. And this is where this unit is also responsible for all of our employee engagement surveys. So again, it's not just diversity, equity, inclusion, it's also belonging. And so we, we do regular surveys, state of the workplace surveys, where we look at what's going on on campus, how are people experiencing the workplace, and what can we do about it? And so again, there we can disaggregate the data so we can say, People in this part of the organization think it's great. Let's ask them why it's going great. People over here are having a less favorable experience. Let's ask them why. We meet with different leaders on campus to, to support them. Hey, we think your organization would benefit from this program or your managers might benefit from this kind of training. And then we can support them as they do it. And so really it's the full, the full range of anything that you would think of relating to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is run out of that team. And I look at the, their function as really being key to building that campus community, where, as we talked about, where everybody can feel like they belong. I'm curious, the um, the equity training series, is that open to only a certain number of people? And is it open to employees and students alike, or primarily the DEI team is focused on providing programs, initiatives for the people employed at UC Berkeley? So it's for the this pro particular program is for the people employed, so the faculty and staff. And so we do about 70 people at a time in a cohort. So we do it virtually. Mm. And so everybody goes and does the same program. And so we do it every semester. But one of the interesting things that happened is that one of our units on campus said, hey, we want all of our employees to do this. We don't want it to just be, you know, people go if they feel like it. And so we were able to stand up an additional cohort just for that academic unit. And really the goal is that, you know, the real goal is that every employee would do this, that we would somehow find, figure out a way to build this into orientation. You're here in your first year at UC Berkeley, you do this training to get to know the community of people with whom you will be working going forward, hopefully for a very long time as a key part of your career. On the student side, we have students requesting similar programs that they want all of their peers to go through something similar. We have not yet built that out on the student side, but I can definitely see that it's coming. We already have some elements of that that exist for students, but I, I think especially when you look at our student body coming from literally all over the world wow. and for the first time for some people encountering so many different kinds of people, something, something like this could be really helpful to ground them and sort of set expectations for it. This is how we as a community function. Mm -hmm. That just sounds wonderful. And I love that idea that you can have this one program that can then be adapted for the students. And speaking of programs, I know you've got some exciting research projects going. Um, you had mentioned to me one that is with the psychology department and another one with the School of Business. 
talk about those because I think they're fascinating. Sure. This is where it gets really exciting to be in higher education. And so one of the things I thought about when I was taking the job at Berkeley, I'd read research articles by professors written at Berkeley, and I thought there might be an opportunity to be a part of something, to do something pretty exciting. And so over the summer, I was reading a research article by a professor who'd done a lot of work in K-12 to work with uh, school teachers to to reduce their bias, to develop empathy so that they would, so that ultimately in the classroom, you wouldn't see disparate impacts based on students' identities. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading that and I said, I think this might also work in the workplace because the interventions that they designed for that study were really focused on harnessing people's empathy as a way for them to see people as individuals, as opposed to seeing them as, you know, as a man or a woman or, or black or Asian. And really to think about as a teacher, I want to see you succeed. You're struggling. It's not because of your identity or you're not this group. I, when I see you struggling, I see an opportunity for me to fulfill my dream of being a teacher through you by helping you and lifting you up. And so in the workplace, for a lot of managers, it's the same thing. You get new employees. You want to help them through their career to develop and to grow. And so I reached out to the professor. I said, let's talk. We got lunch. And so we are just now building out the program. So, we, you know, it's an official program. And so what the study is going to do is so we've already gathered some data about what the levels of empathy are that we have as a community for each other and what we perceive that empathy that people have for us. And so then we're going to build out an intervention targeted for the workplace that's similar for what he did for the classroom and we'll pilot it. So we'll have some cohorts of people getting the training and some cohorts of people getting, you know, not the training, (laughs) getting something else and be able to measure it. And the thing that really excites me about this program, the intervention that he did before, it was an online self-paced 45 minute training. And so because we're so huge at Berkeley, we have tens of thousands of employees. We can't go in in person and do training. We just the scale is too much. But something that we could have everybody spend an hour doing, you know, as part of your new year during your first week, go ahead and do this training is fantastic. And really tapping into somebody's empathy is something universal. It's something that we all have. We may at more times feel it more than others. But I do think we all have this desire to help others, to help others particularly be successful, particularly if you're a manager. This is part of the reason why you want to manage people is because you want to make them successful. You want to coach them. And if we can create this program that's going to make this more of sort of an automatic thing that people do, it could it could be really fantastic. And for me personally, you know, I don't necessarily have a legacy, but it would be great if I could be part of this program and it works and then we can just share it with other people and they can implement it in other institutions, companies, you name it. A simple intervention that can have a high impact is something mm-hmm. that we all you know, are sort of looking for, particularly in the area where it's about building community, reducing bias, making sure everybody feels included and belong. It's it's got such fabulous potential. I can see why you're so excited about it. Is that the one from the School of Business or the Psychology Department? That's the one from the Psychology Department. Okay. From the School of the School of Business, they're taking a different approach. They they too are interested, and it's the Haas School of Business here at Berkeley. They too are interested in how do we take our historically underrepresented or marginalized populations and include them more into the fabric of work. And so they're do, they put together what they call the mega study, where they're going to really look at the, the networks that people have on campus and how those networks are created and established and maintained. Because one of the theories that they want to test it to test is, or one of the, 
sort of test is that for a lot of people, advancing in an organization depends on the contacts you have or the networks that you're able to develop, the networks to support you, to show you, hey, there's an opportunity over here or apply for this job or here's this temporary assignment. A lot of that depends on sort of who you know. And so if you're not in that network, you might miss out on opportunities and it might have a negative impact on your career. So how do we then bring you into networks? How do we bring everybody into the network? Mm. And so their study, part of what they want to do is look at everybody's email. They're not going to read everybody's email, but they're going to look at the metadata on the email to understand who's, how are people exchanging emails? What do networks look like? So they don't, again, they don't need to read anything that anybody says to each other. They just want to know who's in touch with whom. And so then they can understand what the networks are and then create interventions around, okay, here's how these networks are forming. How do we disrupt that so that we can get the networks that we want that will lead to success for a larger swath of people? Hmm. And so that study is going to kick off next semester as well. And so that one's going to involve not only UC Berkeley, but other larger institutions across the country. So that, that one, again, should be pretty fun. Wow. Yeah, I was wondering who the population was was going to be for that. So it's um, faculty and staff. Correct. At, at Berkeley, as well as other higher, all higher ed institutions. At this point in time, yes, higher ed. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, Eugene, I have a final question for you, because one of the things I know that you shared with me before that I just loved is that you said your three kids are your why. And so I would love for you to share what you mean by that. Sure. And this goes back to sort of what I said about legacy. You know, am I trying to build a legacy? Yes and no. I don't want to say it because it seems like an odd thing for me to say. But one of the things I think about is, you know, again, I want to do something that's going to make a difference. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the world of human resources, we have the chance, as I was describing here, to create these programs that will make workplaces better for everybody. And that's really what I want to do when I think about why I have three little kids. They're four, six, and eight, Ellis, Seychelles, and Dante. They'll be happy to hear me say their names. (laughs) But I think about what's it going to be like for them when they grow up and they go to work. If I could actually do something today, create a program that works and that people copy it, and one day my kids go to work somewhere and they're having a great experience or doing something that's related to something that I helped put in motion, I couldn't ask for anything more than that. Right. That's wonderful. I I imagine that helps you. Well, you seem like the kind of person that would enjoy hopping out of bed and getting involved with what you're doing anyway, just because you're passionate (laughs) about the people side of the workplace. But having that extra incentive with your kids is is pretty exciting, too. I have grandchildren about that age, so (laughs) I'm glad you're working on their behalf, too. Sure. (laughs) Thank you. Eugene, is there anything else you'd like to share with my listeners about what you're doing there at Berkeley that you're especially proud of or that you're, you know, additionally excited about besides what you've already talked about? I I would say I'm proud of the fact that I'm getting people to, to now think about people as people. I really think that shift has occurred we're doing data, we're doing surveys, excuse me, and doing these other projects. And really people have bought in, I believe, to, yeah, we need to think about how we treat the people who work here and make sure that we're taking care of all aspects of their lives, not just making sure that they're getting their assignments done. Mm-hmm. So that that for me, and the fact that this has been invited into the community, right? So I was an outsider, I didn't go to Berkeley, 
we weren't doing things like this before. Mm -hmm. But the fact that people are, are saying, yeah, let's do this. It's not people are getting out of my way. People are supporting me in doing this work. And I think that really speaks to the character of the people who work here at UC Berkeley, that they are willing to, to do this and, and you know look at things that aren't so good and say, let's make it better. And so that's what makes it so exciting for me to come to work every day. I suspect, though, your approach in, uh, you know, talking with them about your ideas has something to do with the success that you've experienced and the the embracing of this so readily by most of the people involved. What what would you attribute your own attitude, mindset, approach with others to being as a part of that, to getting buy-in? Sure. So I would say that I, I have been told <laughs> that I'm a persuasive person, but I think what makes me persuasive is that I'm very well prepared. So when I go into a meeting where I know I, there are going to be a lot of skeptics, I'm prepared. And so that means I've done my research. I've read the reason, particularly in an academic place. I, I read the original research. I don't read an article about the research. I read the research and I can speak to that. And so that I've taken the time to do that and that I can understand it gives me credibility and it allows people to trust me. People don't, people want to trust you, right? That, that's sort of, we, we don't want to distrust people, but I, I make it easier, I think, for people to trust me because my, my, my desire is authentic. And I also have the information and the data gathered in a way that makes sense that I can say, here's what I really want you to do. Here's what the research says we should do. Here's what our own data says that we should do. Our own employees say they want this program. Join me and let's make it happen. And I think that's what's helped me to be successful. Excellent. I'm a big believer in being prepared. So thank you uh, for sharing that last uh, bit of wisdom. I think it's it's pure gold. In fact, you shared so many great ideas today, Eugene. I want to thank you for being with me and for the excellent work you're doing there at Berkeley in so many areas. For my listeners who would like to connect with you and keep up with those exciting research projects that you have going, what can they do? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. So Eugene Whitlock at UC Berkeley, or if you go to the Berkeley Human, it's, the web page is still called Human Resources, unfortunately, the, the link. But if you just Google UC Berkeley Human Resources, or as you can see behind me, UC Berkeley People and Culture, you can find me there and, and you can actually find my email there as well. And I'm, I'm happy to connect with people. I like people. This is why I like my job. <laughs> I know. I can tell. It shows in your in your facial expressions as well as your words and, and how you talk about this. So thank you for the enthusiasm you bring. Sure to your work and also to our conversation today. Eugene, I really appreciate you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.